Hello and welcome to the Journey to the Heart podcast. My name is Torn Lokes. I'm a singer-songwriter from the Yukon Territory, Canada, and my current mission is to paddle a canoe across America from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean while learning more about what happiness, community, connection, self-empowerment, as well as finding and living your passions and dreams means to different people I meet along the way. A quick update on my journey so far. I am currently preparing to leave the mouth of the Columbia River from Astoria, Oregon, and paddle east up to Kathlamet, Washington. There's been a lot of last minute pieces of gear I have needed for this expedition, but I'm feeling as ready as I could be to get out there and start paddling. The Gulf of Mexico seems a long way off right now, so it's good for me just to get into the daily rhythm of enjoying the river and diving into my projects, including this podcast. Before introducing my guests on the show, a little more about where I currently am. Astoria is located off the northeast coast of the U.S. Founded in 1811, it is the oldest town in the state of Oregon and was the first American settlement west of the Rocky Mountains, although Native American peoples have lived here for many thousands of years. Known historically as a center of trading and fishing, it is also famous for being the western destination of the Lewis and Clark expedition in 1805. With a contemporary population of just under 10,000, it is still largely known for fishing, but also has a surprising number of vibrant breweries, coffee shops, and one of the predominant features is a four mile long bridge that spans the mouth of the Columbia River, connecting Washington and Oregon. Today I will be speaking with Diana Kirk from Astoria, Oregon, writer, entrepreneur, and business owner. She was kind enough to host me at her Airbnb as I prepared for my journey. Okay, hi. Hi, how, how are, are you? I'm doing great, how are you? I'm good, well, I'm good on this. What is it, Friday morning? This is Friday morning. Friday morning, all yeah. right, early for me. Yeah, and so uh, tell me a bit more about yourself. All right, so I'm a mom of three boys that are 21, 17, and 14. Um, I'm a business owner, I own several businesses, I own lots of properties. I'm a writer. I write memoir, some fiction, some political, but mainly they're just stories about myself. Um, I did write a fiction book that was really fun, but it's not published. And I've traveled around the world a lot, and I'm kind of funny, and I do stage shows sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so how long, how long have you uh, lived in Astoria for? Well, I lived in Portland for 16 years, and um, I got really tired of the kind of bubble of Portland, which is that everybody is kind of similar in their thought processes, and I kind of like other people's worlds. And um, so in 2014, I took a week, and I drove all of Oregon looking for somewhere to move to. And my husband and I had met in Cannon Beach, which is down the coast about 20 miles, and we've always lived near water, and Astoria was on a river that goes to the ocean, and so it seemed like a great city for us to... We didn't technically want to move here, but we started working here. We bought some properties, and we were fixing them up. And then slowly, we just ended up here. And I kind of somewhat regret that I didn't raise my kids in Portland. I think they would have had more experiences in a bigger city, because I grew up in a city, and so did my husband. Um, so that's a little bit hard in a small town, um, but we embraced it and got our kids really involved in the town itself, and I think that's helped them 
Um, but yeah, I won't let them come back here necessarily when they're 20. It's, there's, it's dead end here for a while until they're about 26 or 28. So, so what is it, what is it that you love about, about Astoria? Um, quite frankly, it's the nature and it's so close by my house. When I get out of bed and walk into my kitchen is all windows and you're looking at the river and the bridge and the, the mountains on the other side. So if it snowed during the night, you see it and the color of the water of the river changes constantly. It's a really big change. Um, I get to see the clouds roll in from the ocean that I really like and bald eagles, all the good nature stuff I really, really enjoy. Um, and then on top of it, I really love the maritime culture here because it's new to me. I didn't grow up around it. And um, I find it fascinating to meet boat captains from Japanese optics ships or um, or the kids that work on the cruise ships that are from all around um, the country. I, I really love the maritime culture and learning anything about it is really fascinating to me because it's jobs I've never even heard of and I didn't even know they existed. And it's always nice to constantly, to learn something new. Like for example, we have these commercial fishermen, um, the, the hake pit fishing, they come here every year and they fish right at the mouth of the Columbia and they catch hake, which is one of the biggest fish in the world to catch hake and pollock because most fish sticks and stuff like that are made from them. And the Ukrainians are the second largest purchasers of hake in the world. So the Ukrainian war suddenly is affecting their bottom dollar this summer. And that's what the commercial fishermen are talking about. I'd never, and I'd never know that if I didn't live here in this maritime culture. And I find it fascinating. Well, it seems like there's many levels and dimensions to every community and, and living in a place like this, that's right on the edge of the Pacific ocean and, and the deep history of this place, you know, as yes, there, I the town feel itself, it. mm -hmm. the town itself is the, it claims to be the oldest town in the West because it was a trading post when Lewis and Clark got here. It was already a trading post. This, the Columbia river is four miles wide at the mouth and it's very rich in salmon mainly and crab and, um, halibut and then at the mouth there's far more there's the haken pollock is a big thing here and rockfish shrimp and so that was already prolific when the natives were here and they traded in fur and then from there john astor who was friends with lewis merriweather came here because he had heard of this trading post and that's why it's named astoria it was named after john astor so they claim they're the oldest town west of, of the Mississippi because it was already a town when they got here. It was oh. a native town. And um, Fort George is where they the crowns put up a fort here, and that's now where Fort George Brewery is. And the history is so amazing because it was a secondary gold rush. It wasn't gold, it was salmon. And people came from all over the world to come here and make their money off of salmon. We were nothing but canneries um, and fishing boats for a good 60, 70 years here. Wow. Yeah. And so what is it about the community here that you think is this special or, or that's interesting to you? I would say unique. Um, and it reminds me of a lot of communities. If you've traveled a lot, you, you find these communities are really embedded in their longstanding culture. And... Uh, you know, this town is turning into a tourist town and people don't like that. And I understand why. 
we don't want to take that patina of the historical part of it off. But the, the fishermen are still here if you have your eyes open. It's a humongous economic boom in this town. And, but a lot of the town doesn't know about that now because it's changed and now it's like a tourist town to them. And they don't understand the money side of the commercial fishing industry. Um, so it's unique in that there's not a lot of towns on the West Coast that are these huge fishing worlds. And I had to learn from the um, fishermen. I, I never really understood why there were so many commercial fishermen from Alaska here. And they just they explained that um, in Alaska, there's the Aleutian Chains, which are the islands, um, the tail of Alaska, if you look at a map, and that, that water currents go straight to Astoria. So the fishermen in Alaska who are in Dutch Harbor, it's easier for them to get to Astoria than it is to get to Seattle. And so that's why there's such a fishing world here. And that culture has shaped this town that works really, really hard during a season and then, quite frankly, they play really, really hard when they get off a beach. So Astoria has really a lot of bars. And they, that. <laughs> and they fight that. They fight that world. Like, there was a big write-up in a magazine about all the bars here. And people in town didn't like it. And you're like, it's a fishing town. Of course. I mean, these bars are going to make a lot of money. Because when guys get off fishing boats, they have a lot of money in their pocket. And they haven't socialized. And they haven't seen people. And they go to bars. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that when I first came here, like, wow, there's a lot of breweries and a lot of coffee shops. Yeah, there's a lot of consumption of liquids here, for sure. And <laughs> historically, there have been a lot of breweries. Um, the Sanborn map the, in 1908 shows the North Pacific Brewing Company was huge here. It was a giant portion of Upper Town. Um, provided tons of jobs, and that was 1908. So that's pretty old for the West. We don't have a lot of that. And John Astor was here in 1906, so... And what, what made you interested in, in, in uh, owning a bar here? Because I know you own the Worker's Tavern next door. I do. I own a very old bar that's 100 years old. Um, I didn't necessarily want to own the bar. I wanted the seven apartments in it. I'm really into housing. That's a big thing yeah. for me. I own property in Portland and Astoria. And the bar um, was a very well-known bar, a very well-known fishing bar before I bought it. Um, it didn't need me, but the building and the bar physically needed help. Um, and it was also aging out. And all businesses need young blood at some point because they have new ideas and younger people have less fears. And um, the bar had stayed the same for a very long time and it was the clientele were aging out. So it needed new blood but I didn't know if I wanted to own a bar. In fact, the night before we signed, my husband was like, I don't want to own a bar. And I was like, this is kind of too late. I've spent four months getting us ready. Um, but now that we own it and we've turned it into a younger, pe people are coming now for the historical aspect of the bar and younger people are curious about the stories. That's, it's fun now. It's really yeah. fun. And I don't mind owning it, except for it's always open. Yeah. 9 a.m. to 2 a.m., 364 a year is very tiring. I mean, I'm not yeah. there the whole time, but it's always kind of on the back of your mind. I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah. And, and where did where did that uh, entrepreneurial spirit come from? Like, you, there's a, clearly, like, you care a lot about community. You, you want to be a part of it, but you also have this, you know, you clearly have all this energy to want to build new projects, start new things, get involved. Well... I have no idea how some of it started, except for 
I would say at the core, I'm very curious. And secondly, I just naturally network without realizing it. And it's because I'm really social. And I file things away in my head without trying. And so I'll meet somebody who needs something. And in my head, I know someone. So how hard is it to send an email? How hard is it to make a phone call and try? I don't fear rejection. I don't fear if someone's not going to like the idea. No isn't that big of a deal to me. So networking is... powerful. Yeah, it's really true if you can't, Mm -hmm. if you don't take it personally and you just kind of move on. So networking is easy. And so, you know, when you own a business, a big part of it is learning. And the only way to learn it half the time is to meet other people and talk to them. So before I bought the bar, I just went down the entire Oregon coast and went into bars and talked to bartenders and bar owners and watched their clientele. And that's how I learned. And um, I didn't fear failing. There was a big click that like controlled this bar. And I almost didn't want to buy it because of the click. And I remember telling them from the very beginning, look how fun it'll be. You get to watch me fail. Because I will fail. There will be complete failures here. And I've brought bands here and nobody's come. That's, you know, a fail. And you just keep going. So the maybe my, my mom, more than likely, gave me some of that. She definitely has the social skills and the networking skills. She's always starting new clubs. And she has a ton of friends. But... She always was trying to help people, too, because it was easy for her. And she has always thought her life was kind of easy. And life is kind of easy for me, too. It's not really hard. I don't, I don't have a lot of issues, mental or physical. And um, so if my life is easy and I can make life easier for other people, then I feel like I can, with very little effort, I'll do it. So when you, when you talk about that, you talked about it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a, that also must be a big part of your success. Oh, yeah, because I have failures. I mean, you don't succeed without a lot of failures. I've lost money on projects. I remember I flipped a house in Portland like a decade ago, and I was it was such a gorgeous house. I was so convinced of it, and it was a total failure, and you just kind of keep going. I mean, you, you, it's, you, I don't get really caught up in failures. They're, they're not a super big deal to me. Um or regrets. I don't really have a lot of regrets because you're like... But I do call myself, and I even have a coffee mug, where I call myself the two-thirds queen of success. <laughs> and it's a perfect metaphor for my life, which is that you reach for a peak, and I never get there. I, I have some failures, and I get... But I'm at two-thirds, which is still more than nothing. And so you're a two-thirds full kind I of am. person. I am. Like, I, I can <laughs> never... Good. I can never really pull off the whole thing, you know, like... I, I, I had a book come out, my first book, and everybody said, you're going to have the hardest time selling it. And I worked my butt off, and I got tons of publicity. I hit my number that I wanted. But in the back of my head, I wanted more, and I knew that. And so to some people, my book was a massive success. To me, it was an okay success because I only got two-thirds of the way there. It just depends on who you talk to. There's other people who sold five books because they just didn't understand the system. You know what I mean? And... Yeah. I wasn't that way. I was like, no, no, this is my job now, and I'm going to go figure out the system and do it and then walk away and feel like I did two-thirds of the amount of work I could have done. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems like you have that that you have that ability to have the courage just to jump into right. whatever it is that you need to do. I wish I could give that to a lot of people. 
Yeah. Because there's a lot of very, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who I can see in different positions than they're in. Yeah. But they can't jump. Like they have those, those passions and talents. 100%. They're extremely talented. Yeah. But they can't put the next step through. They can't take the responsibility because really at the end of the day, if my bartender and my bar messes up, I messed up and they can't, they can't put that together. They get all caught up in the bartender failing. Right. And I'm like, no, you failed, but you know, from past experiences, you'll get through that failure yeah. and you'll figure out how to train that bartender differently. And so you said you, uh, you raised your kids here mm-hmm. and what would you say were the best things about your kids growing up here? Like in the sense of, you know, they're all have unique talents and passions and are, you know, going up, starting to now grow Go up and, mm-hmm. and leave the nest, so to speak. I, yeah. It makes me want to vomit <laughs> to think about it. It's horrible when your kids leave. It's the worst thing ever. And I feel like, especially this year, my middle son's graduating. I was so many times this year, I was really mad that he got all these awards. <laughs> you think that's a good, that's a good thing though. Because I, I feel like I should get an award. Right. When he was getting this award on swim team, I was so mad because I was like, I've been to every one of your practices since you were seven. Um, well, one of the things I didn't know, because I grew up in San Francisco and then I lived in Portland for 16 years, so I'm a big city girl, is um, when you live in a small town, the small town is held together by people you know. On a rig, it's held together by the business owners. It's held together by families, and so it's its own world. It's its own world, and when you live in a city, you don't know that as much. It's much easier to disappear and not understand that an entire basketball team is run by like three people, you know. And then suddenly you're in this town, and the town really embraces and helps the younger people. But you can see it so much clearer because there's far less people. So. For example, my kids are all super swimmers. You know, there's only like 10 of us adult swimmers in the whole town that grew up swimming, which I did. And so suddenly you realize the only way we're gonna have a successful swim team is if you're involved. Because there's no, the school does, the school's too small to really bring in super high quality, talented swim coaches. They're more like, oh cool, we got a swim coach. And the only reason why he's a swim coach is because he swims for the Coast Guard. And, um, and suddenly it, it becomes dependent on all of us to kind of keep that going. And so people really circle around the young people here. I think more than they do in the city, there's always an assumption somewhere else that somebody else is taking care of it. But here it becomes hyper-focused. And you see that it's, sometimes I joke, there's like 10 people that do everything in town here. I mean, there's more than that, but you see the same people and they're very much givers. Right. And so I pick my thing, and swimming is one of the things I spend a huge amount of time and energy on for my, because all of my kids are swimmers. So, um, but you see that very clearly. We circle around the kids a lot, and everybody wants to help. Well, it seems like, like you were saying, like living in that small town, living in a small town, you end up um, realizing how much you are part of it. You know, yeah. while, while when you're in a big city, you can kind of feel like a like a drop in the ocean. Here, yeah. you know, you put on many different hats. You're involved you in so you have many to. different yeah. things. To be a community member, you have to. I remember when I bought the bar, there's this guy in town. His name is Jeff Daly. He's kind of famous. And um, he said, now you need a thing. And I didn't really know what he meant. What do you mean a thing? And he meant 
you have to have a thing that you do now because you own a business and you have to follow through and become that thing. And I didn't know what my thing was going to be. Like um, your roles in the community. Yeah, like the woman I bought the bar from, she would always raise money for Toys for Tots. That was like a big thing. And she'd get motorcyclists, would bring toys here for Tots. And it was like a thing for her. And I was like, well, I'm not just going to pick something out of a bag. I'm really into housing. That's I own a lot of housing. I care about workforce housing a lot. So that became kind of my thing. And then this area of Astoria, is a, it, historically it's older than downtown Astoria. And it's called Uniontown. And I was really interested in that. So I became kind of an advocate for those two things because I actually care a lot about those two things. But yeah. then you go to those meetings and then you have a voice on it and that's how the town stays together is you have to keep trying at those things. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. And, and what, is it that, what is it that you feel like you've, you've traveled all over the world. We haven't talked about that yet. Mm-hmm. So you've traveled all over and, and experienced so many different things. And what is it that made you want to live here, of all places, after, you know, you've seen a lot? <laughs> yeah, I have seen a lot. Um, and I think because I've seen a lot, I care about the history of areas and how they evolved. I mean, I, I studied biology in college, and so how even plant life lives is important. But to see this town and how it evolved, I, I, I'm not sure I consciously made the decision to live here. It was like a really slow transition but it was so beautiful and I wanted to be around people who were different than city folk I wanted to have different thoughts so that that what they would challenge me and going through the pandemic and the post-political years and in, in in the United I call them the post-political years the post certain president years um going through that in a town that have so many different thoughts was actually nice because I want to still be challenged I want people to try to convince me of their sides of things and I learn from that so being surrounded by everybody who's the same really bothers me and so the fact that this city hasn't been changed this town hasn't been changed yet like that made me attracted to it plus the history and quite frankly I'm from San Francisco and Astoria is a tiny San Francisco it's a crab it's a crab fishing town with a giant bridge and a whole bunch of hills. It's just like San Francisco. So it felt familiar to me too there. I was actually named after a fishing boat. Really? Yeah, my uh, uncle had a uh, crab fishing boat or not crab but fishing boats in Moss Landing in California and he owned a cannery. And my mom when she was pregnant there went and she was walking around the marina and she saw a boat called the Diana Marie and that's how I got my name. So That's it's pretty... weird that I end up on a fishing bar. I don't tell people that because it sounds like I'm trying too hard because I'm quite frankly, I know nothing about fishing. I wouldn't pretend, but yeah, that's why. But the, the town itself is um, physically really beautiful and that is really attractive. But to You really see... feel connected to nature here. Like it, no the elements are, yeah. are right, are kind of mixed in right with the town and it's really yeah. strange especially because this bridge is here which is obviously such a human endeavor it's incredible yeah just the fact that there's a bridge going four miles over four the, miles over across the mouth of it's this not river. a small river at all and there's so much life in the river and we sit on the rocks across the side on the other side and watch whales on a regular basis all summer and um you know but the the history of the people here and how they've settled it is just 
freaking fascinating. We are building a Nordic Park downtown right now because this is a Scandinavian town. Yeah. Did you see the Nordic Park down there? That I building? did see that. Yeah. yeah. It's brand new. They raised money for seven years to build it. Wow. And I'm excited because um, people here still speak Finnish. Um, they use Finnish words sometimes and they interchange them. And so the fact we're getting a Nordic Park is really good. And I'm not Scandinavian the slightest. I'm an Irish girl from San Francisco. But my bar donated um, quite a bit of money to that park because... Finnish people have been drinking in my bar for a hundred years. I felt like we should be a part of that park. But watching how this town circled around that park because it's all of their stories. There's the Swedes, the Finns, the Norwegians, all of them. They're the ones who really made this town go boom. Well, yeah. And, and what are what are you personally passionate about? Oh, that's such a good question because I don't know. I'm kind of passionate about learning, but right now I'm currently passionate about showing the world to my kids. That feels really important to me that they start seeing outside of this town. You can choose to live in a small town and love the world that it's in, but I think it's important to understand we're a really big world because then you realize we're all kind of the same. We're different and we like that difference, but in the deep down, we're all really similar. Well, it's interesting how it's like microcosms that yeah. connect because, you know, a story is like a world in itself. Sure. But at the same time, there are worlds within worlds all yeah. throughout this country and beyond. And, and, uh, in some ways, like you've talked, you've told me and before this podcast about so many of the travels that you've done and how that helped you grow as a person. And, oh, and, and 100%. now, and, and that brought you to, to living in, in, in this small town, those journeys brought you here for, you know, all, all kinds of different reasons. And then now you're in that transition where your kids are coming from that environment and going off to do those journeys and trips in their own way that you experienced when you were younger. They are, and they're getting different things out of it. But I know recently, um, last summer, my son went to Wales, my oldest son, and he worked at a um, steam uh, train tourist kind of place. He's very interested in transportation engineering. He goes to school for electrical engineering. And he said something to me that I, like, loved. And it was so tiny and so minute, but it meant a lot to me. And he said, I never knew how much, because my kids have traveled around the world with me, I never knew how much work you were putting into the trip while we were traveling until I had to do it all myself. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely, because it it, I don't like traveling with my adult kids right now together because they don't do anything. They're like in their own worlds now, in their rooms. And I'm like, what the hell? We're in the desert. What are you guys doing? And they're not there yet. But when he went to Wales, he had to figure out all of his own trains, his buses, his hostels, his food, his everything. And, you know, when they was younger, we would be in Malaysia and we'd be like, it's time for dinner. And they would just like get up and follow us. But they didn't realize that like before we even left our hotel, we had to like figure out where we were eating, what we were eating, how much did it cost? Yeah. Do they speak English? And now he has to learn that world. And it's tiny, but I was like, that's right. Don't you forget how much work I put into it. <laughs> I think it takes years for, for people to fully realize how much their parents sure. you know, gave them. Maybe you have to be a parent first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, now I'm, you know, I'm 31 now. And looking back every year, I realize how much smarter my parents were than I realized. I know. My 17-year-old doesn't realize I'm how cool I am as a parent because you know that nobody's cool yeah. and I'm like you're all your friends why do they hang out here why don't you think about that why do they always <laughs> hang out at our house nobody else's our house yeah 
And that when they're there, because they're teenagers, they take up the entire house. Because I'm telling you, five 15-year-olds is like 100 people in a bar. They're so loud. Um, yeah. But they're always at our house. And you know, one day he'll realize that that was a cool thing, a gift, kind of, you know? Well, so many of the, so many of the best experiences in life, it, it might start off from a place of reluctance to want to leave your comfort zone, you sure. know? And then even on like a daily basis, you're like, oh, it's easier just to stay at home and just relax. And sometimes that's important. But then I think of so many of my like endearing memories growing up in childhood. It was like my dad or, you know, or mom saying like, hey, let's go out and do this thing, you know. Yeah, you don't regret it. Just like you don't regret, like you don't want to go to the party, but then you go and you're like, why was I so weird about it? Yeah, it is hard. And I, I think the trajectory that young people lost during the pandemic it's really especially the ones who were supposed to go to college and they lost that and I've talked to a lot of young people that are going through that and I was like that's a whole lot of energy that was going towards leaving high school and going to college that then just got snapped away from you it's it's if if you feel like you can't get back there I feel for you because I don't know if I could have it's a lot of mental power to leave your small town and go move somewhere and then during the pandemic, that was either taken away from you or it was too scary for you to go. You can see why you're lost. Yeah. They're the lost kids. And I hope we help them more because it's going to be different. There's like two or three years of people that are just going to not be able to figure this shit out. Yeah. And I mean, how, what do you think could be done to help? I don't know. Those but there's... folks transitioning from, you know, like basically being a teenager into adulthood that, you know, had been affected so much by I don't really know I my son is back in school but he took a year off and um, he wanted to go back to school because he kind of had lost his community but we have a kid that lives on our street who has decided to take a gap year where he's going to work here which I was like that's not a gap year I said if you're going to work why don't you go work in Florida or Maine or you know somewhere really different Um, but he's lost, and I, I try to talk to him about it because, you know, his parents are like, he needs other people to talk to, and I tell, I just tell him my own story, you know, I didn't go to college for three years, and then I went, and I, had, it was the best thing I ever did, um, yeah. because of the, not because of the degree, but because of the experience of having your mind open to different people, different teachers, and different thoughts, and there's nowhere else you're going to get that, and he's a smart kid, and he's just lost right now. So maybe talking to other adults and then telling their stories. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not really sure what the answer is. It's, it's interesting how, like, education, it's like there's the life experience and then there's, like, the educational experience, mm-hmm. learning, being in a more of a structured environment. And how would you say, like, those two things have have uh, had an influence on your life and, and what, what, what were the differences and what ways have they Well, I think graduating from college, you know, you do it on your own. It's not a requirement of life. And so that sense of accomplishment. And I remember the smallest thing from college. I remember this so clearly that, you know, you, I had to fill out this like paperwork to get your, at, your done, your degree. And it had to be signed off by your teachers because your degree goes in before you finish your classes. And I remember I found out that I hadn't done a one-credit library research project that I was supposed to do my freshman year. Like, I had missed it somehow. And they said, well, you can do it, like, on in one weekend. You really can do it. It wasn't a class I had to take. 
And I remember running around. I had to give up a whole weekend, like right before finals, to do what was the, I would have been great if I would have known about it my freshman year because there were archives in the library I didn't even know about. Running around doing this thing. And in retrospect, when I think about that, I was like, that's just training you for paperwork in life. Because a lot of success in life is paperwork. Yeah. Can you succeed in doing your taxes for three businesses every year? Because let me tell you, I do. <laughs> and it's a huge amount of work and it's a huge amount of money. And that library job, that live one credit thing, I could have just not graduated. But instead, I had to run and I had to hustle. And I did it. Nobody was telling me to do it. Nobody was telling me I had to graduate. So that sense of accomplishment felt like more than all the classes I took. But then if I look at each individual classes, there were teachers who really opened my eyes. It was the, I met a teacher, my zoology teacher had gone around the world with his wife. And then six years later, I went around the world with my husband. And I had never heard of that. He was the first person who told me his story. So the education part, yes, the I think the accomplishment was worth more than what I learned in the classes. Because now, these days, kids could learn crap on YouTube. You know, my kids know so much about hedge funds from YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> but the being, in, it's the stories and it's the accomplishment. The accomplishment was big for me. Was it for you? Yeah, yeah I'd say so. I, yeah. I think I had a similar journey. I took several years off and mm-hmm. off from high school to travel and, and to find myself and to learn about the world. And I went back to college when I was uh, 23. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the best thing I could have done. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd done, uh, you know, started college and then did a semester, switched schools, went somewhere else. Like, I had a very circuitous route. Right. Like, the the uh, the scenic journey through yeah. my undergrad. And for me, that worked. Yeah. Because I think that it allowed me to really appreciate and reflect on, like, you know, p- people I'd met and places I'd been uh, with the... Uh, educational structural experience and and then when I was in class I loved it because like I love being able to uh, have that dialogue and and every subject I felt like I could connect to something someplace I'd been yeah or or some someone I'd met and that was my the favorite part for me about college was uh, being able to have those conversations and have that and when you have a really good teacher it almost doesn't matter what the subject is if they're passionate about yeah. it it makes you interested yeah it draws you in my my son i asked him why his chemistry uh grade was better one semester than the next and he said well i had a different teacher my first and he's not a chemistry major he's electrical engineering so chemistry really isn't his thing at all yeah but he said that teacher was so much fun i got really really into it and it's interesting because my kids have thought about teaching. My mom was a teacher, and I was a teacher. And so seeing my kids are naturally teachers. Um, my middle son now teaches swim uh, to young kids and stuff. But for them to realize that the teachers that made the biggest impact were the ones who found an, a connection with the kids that really worked for those kids and made them more energized about something they wouldn't normally care about. Because I've, ha- I've taken classes where the subject matter was really interesting, but the teacher was done. They should be retired and found another job, but they yeah. were tenured and they weren't going to leave. So, um, and I didn't go to college until I was 20, so I can totally relate to the like waiting until you find yourself. Um, but watching my son now in college um, and what he's telling me now is he's starting to understand things. They're starting, classes are starting to connect as like a whole, a bigger picture. And 
he thinks it's his classes, but I think it's his maturity. I think he's starting to see the world as a, a bigger thing, and the things he's learning in school are starting to connect for him more. Yeah, you know, and, and life is this, life is strange because it's it's like you don't, uh, it's not going to uh, wait until you're perfectly ready. No. You kind of have to jump in and figure it out yeah, <laughs> to some this, degree. This concept that we graduate from high school and we're done is such bullshit. It really offends me. <laughs> I'm, I moved out of uh, my parents' house a week after I turned 17. So I was really young. Yeah. I was ready. I just needed to be on my own. I'm a super independent person. My son, when he was 20 and he went on that trip to Wales, when he came back, he was a different person. That's 20. He was just... He's now seeing things that I think I saw when I was younger, but it's his own time frame, you know? Yeah. And I, there's an article that's been published, I have this thing called the six steps to launching your child. And it's about all the things that don't have anything to do with school. It, you know, in it, I'm talking about learning finances and working towards a goal and sexuality with um, some another person in a safe zone. All these other things that I think are a sign of you're now ready to go out into the world better. And a high school diploma is not it because it's, it's all at different times. Nobody yeah. is a set time on any of those things. And I think your parenting is still around during those times. I know I would call my mom at 25 sobbing. I mean, it was still there. So 18 and done sure as hell is nothing these days. Oh. It could be 16, it could be 25, it could be 31. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, uh, I'm at, uh, just started grad school last year uh, for community planning, and uh, it's, uh, it's interesting how every new chapter, it's like you realize how difficult some things are, and you realize how the things you thought were going to be difficult are maybe not as difficult. Yeah. And that, that's the beauty of it, because it, life provides challenges that are kind of unique based on, like, the the time of life that you're in and and uh, the idea of what you think is it's going to be is the reality is always going to be different when you're actually there. I know. I was telling you earlier before the podcast interview that my son, who's graduating in two weeks, had kind of a breakdown in the middle of the night last night. And one of the things I told him was something that I've learned and he'll, re he, he'll learn it. He'll remember it one day, which is that the people who you think should be there for you aren't always there. It's the people you weren't noticing that always are. And that has yeah. surprised me. The people who supported me when my book came out were not the people who literally were supposed to be the ones, you know, albeit professionals or whatever. My friends, you know, the ones who I have such a connection with aren't there. It's these other ones that I didn't really think would be good friends. And, and those are the surprises you need to look for throughout your life and be appreciative when you realize it. When you realize, oh... This person in a normal world isn't a connection that I should have, but it works really well, and it's a shock. It's an absolute shock, and that's chemistry you can't explain. What's helped you with that in the regards to um, pursuing your dreams and things that matter to you uh, when there is sometimes that resistance from, uh, you know, people in your life or people around you? Because like that's something I think that's quite common is that you know people want to pursue something and then. Other, you know, others around them are like, oh, why would you do that? Like, that's that seems like out of left field, or they well, don't think you Didn't you just have that this it. week where somebody told you you can't canoe the Columbia River? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're always going to have that. Like, I think for me, I fear bitterness. 
I fear it really a lot, especially as I get older. And maybe it's because I'm a middle-aged white woman and a lot of there's a lot of bitter middle-aged white women around. <laughs> and that's my demographic and that's who I hear talking a lot. But the only way I deal with the things, the people that work against me, first of all, I work harder when someone works against me. I'm that woman. I'm that person that the entire phrase, um, I, you know, I only get up in the morning because I have a lot of people to prove wrong. Um, that's me and that's just who I innately am. But I'm, I fight bitterness because I don't want that to become who I am. And the only way I fight it is I talk about it. And what is bitterness to you? What does that mean to you? It means holding in the anger of somebody telling you, you can't, you can't paddle the Columbia. Like it's, I would rather just talk about it. I would rather just be like, that really pissed me off. Um, go watch me watch what happens. You know, um, I'm just really, I'm very open about that is I like the challenge of somebody telling me I can't do something. Sometimes they might be right. You know, that's the key is figuring out when those moments are, but I really, most of the time, most of the time. Yeah. You can find a way. You can find a way. And, and, uh, Man, when I started my companies for investment, it's all men that hold the money. They hold all the money. And I would have so many meetings with just like snot-nosed little frat boy wearing stripy socks and manicures telling me I can't do something. And I'd be like, holy hell, hell, man, you make me want to literally stomp on you. And they're the (laughs) catalyst that pushed me to try more, to try harder, to find different people, and to keep going. Um, But I really think that talking about it, like my son having a breakdown in the middle of the night and saying he's hurt, that will make him stronger. And it will, the fact that he can say it means I've succeeded. That's powerful. In that he can get that out and to say, I'm scared of graduating. I'm scared of losing my friends. People aren't rising to the occasion. I was like, don't forget that. Do that forever. Just say that it, say it hurts. Yeah. Once you say it, the next day you're done. You're off canoeing the Columbia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, I gotta say, I you know coming down here, I I've been preparing to do this canoe trip for four years now. I mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do it for so long, and I come down here, and it's just a lot of emotions and and uh, talking. You know, the vulnerability of uh, you know saying goodbye to my loved ones, mm-hmm. and then going down to the docks and having, you know, you know, a guy tell me, Oh, it's so dangerous. You're gonna, you're gonna kill yourself out there. Like that, that was like a, that was that moment. That was that test for me Mm -hmm. to say, no, I have to believe in myself. I have to trust my experience, my own instincts. And you know, those are those moments. It it connects to what what you're talking about too. Well, that's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah. But the maturity is, realizing that that's a gift and and that's what my son hasn't gone yet he will yeah. down the road and you're far more evolved than most 31 year olds but to realize that I need that guy to tell me I can't do it that will get me through those times when I'm like holy hell hole I'm freezing I'm hungry I've got a broken boat I've got whatever like you have to have those moments and they suck but I always lick my wounds they help you grow yeah, but I don't fight it. I don't tell myself, don't listen to him. Mm-hmm. I don't. I've never done that. I've always been like, no, Embrace listen. It. I'm going to cry and I'm going to be angry. And I find for me, if I do that, then I'm usually fine afterwards. And that's what I told my son last night. Lick your wounds. This is going to be hard. It's going to be bumpy. Mm-hmm. But it won't be in a month and it certainly won't be in a year. You just have to keep going. 
but don't tell yourself don't feel it actually feel it because that's happiness is you know it's a fleeting moment it's a moment in time most of life is pretty monotonous and pretty boring you want the highs and lows that's what life is about you know yeah yeah and those transition times are where you get a lot of tumultuous energy transition times I know and I feel it seems like we're both in transition times in different ways right now oh yeah yeah I'm letting go of my kids and uh when you ask me what are my passions, I'm like, well, I have a lot, but I don't really know what any of them are right now. Because right now, my 52 years old, right now, I'm at the peak of everything. I'm probably making the most money I'll ever make. I'm taking care of my parents and my kids. Everything I do right the smartest now. Smartest you've ever been. I'm the smartest I'll ever be. <laughs> everything is oh, about giving. You still have a few decades to, to keep aging like a fine I line. do, but right now, everything is giving. Maybe it's a whole nother twist to that concept. Yeah, diving of, into your creativity in a, in a yeah, new way. In a new way with all this life experiences. Um, I think it's powerful to look at life that way because I think often people can get stuck in whether they think high school is the peak time of sure. their life yeah. or college or their 20s or 30s. Right. You know, people can get stuck on certain areas of their life as though those were the golden years, but right. without realizing that, like, well, really, like, these are the golden years. If you, you know, right, what we're living, what we're doing right now, we're going to look back on this, you know, 10 years from now and be like, wasn't that amazing? Oh, I know when my kids are annoying me right now, I know I have a stamp in my head that says, I'm going to want this so bad 10 years from now. I'm going to want all my family in my house driving me nuts. There's nothing better in the entire world. Yeah. I would say, though, at my age right now, if I look back in my best years, it was my early 40s. Those were the absolute best years of my entire life. Um, mm. And they... How so? Um, I started my companies, and at that point, I had been a stay-at-home mom, and then I had been a teacher and a traveler, and I had never realized how good I was at it. And suddenly, I was, I was flying. I, I, it was like I understood so much. It was super easy to figure out how to solve these problems. I was great at it, and I didn't realize that. And I was super financially successful in a very short period of time because I just... Believed in yourself. It was like Matrix. I could just see it. And and nobody told me no. And I had really yeah. no... I, I connected with a bunch of people who I'd never known or would never know in normal circumstances. But you uh, had this dream, this idea in your mind to say... Like, I could see it. And what was it, what was it that... Did you have like a clear goal of what you wanted no. to accomplish? Each time I bought another property, I had really no idea what I knew I what what I was doing. I just kept going because I found it really fun. It was a blast that time of my life. Um, it was hard with the kids because the kids were much smaller, and I was doing that. But um, I just it was really clear what I was doing. So I you were in a flow a state. You just yeah. felt like you you I were just done immersed anything. in it. Yeah, I felt like I could do anything. And then I hit a wall where I had worked so much I was exhausted and I left for a couple of months. And when I came back, I started writing. And I think, I, I, I feel like all that was for some sort of purpose. But yeah. uh, in your early 40s, you don't care as much. I wasn't caring as much. Not I was as self-conscious. I was pulling away from this idea of what I thought community had to be like or my life had to be. I was rearranging that. Um, and so was my husband because he had always been when we had little kids he was a geologist and he made the money and I just tried to save us money that was our lifestyle and then all of a sudden we switched roles and it worked really well 
for us, and I enjoyed a freedom after 10 years of being home with little kids, and I was really good at something I hadn't, I, I didn't feel like I had been, you know, because you don't get a pat on the back for raising kids, and uh, it was great, it was a great time, and right now I'm more like, I'm more like turning 20, <laughs> it's really hard, <laughs> we've talked about it, but it's, I don't really know what I'm doing right now, I'm just trying to make sure everybody stays steady. Well, it's, it, that, that is fascinating to me, how uh, you can go through these periods of life where everything just is like magic and works. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a new decade and it's almost like you're, you're starting something completely new again. I am. I mean, I thought about running for city councilor right now because I do have time and I do know how things work, but, um, I don't want to cause I'm actually really enjoying, even though it's kind of tumultuous with my family you know my kids moving on or whatever and my parents are aging and my mom's starting to show that more and more um I, I'm enjoying knowing that I'm really deeply rooted in life right now this is yeah. like one day it's just going to be my husband and I complaining about our bad knees and uh right now it's it's a lot but I I wouldn't change it I do leave I do run away from it though I mean, well you were just telling me you uh you were in uh the Panama Canal I was yeah uh, was that a couple weeks ago yeah it was literally a couple weeks ago we met a couple in the in the bar I did in the backyard and chatted with them and became friends with them and at some point that summer I told them it was on my list to go through the Panama Canal I don't really remember that but I do say that so I, I believe them and they out of the blue texted me and said, why don't you fly down here and help us get our sailboat through the Panama Canal? And my husband and I left seven days later and went through the canal, and then we sailed with them for a week on the coast of Panama. And I don't really want to give that up right now. I enjoy my freedom, and if I was a city councilor, I wouldn't be able to do that. Because while I went to Panama, there was this really big political thing going on in my small town, and the city councilors were being inundated and lobbied, and I wouldn't have been able to go, and I don't want to give that up right now. I think that that's something you probably experience, you know, as, as you go through different stages of life where you realize that the things that you thought you might want to do, um, you know, you can do just about anything, but you can't do everything. Oh. And then kind of realizing like, okay, I can let go of that yeah. dream to allow all these other dreams to flourish. Right. Like we talked about earlier that, I no longer want to be cold when I'm camping. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's psychologically messed with my husband and I, where we were like, are we done camping? Like, are we literally saying that? And I was like, I'm freezing right now, and I don't have to be. And when I was in Panama, I was so hot on the sailboat that at one point I told them I'm too rich to be this hot, and I wanted to go to a <laughs> resort with an air conditioner. And I was like, am I this lame? Yeah, I was. I have choices now, but I worked really hard for those choices. Yeah. And you also came from like having traveled with nothing, with nothing and loving it. Yeah. And, 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 and now it's like you're in this different stage of life where you get to experience something you couldn't have experienced then. Oh, the idea of going to a resort when we were younger, I don't even like resorts. I don't want, I don't go to resorts, but I might. When we were on that, on the sailboat, I was like, I'd go to a resort right now if they had air conditioning because I was so hot. Yeah. But uh, no, and I've been around the world with n not a lot of money and been w hungry, definitely been hungry, and not been able to solve my problems or absolutely freezing, and I was just sitting there going, why am I cold? I don't have to be anymore. I don't want to be. So we made a list of all these like trips we want to take that are like spendy, that we never could 
even think about before. And then we made fun of ourselves. Then we made a list of spending trips that we would want to go on. But you just make peace with it. And you're like, all right, it's all good. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. And, I, and it's, that's, that's interesting to me because right now I'm about to dive into something where I'm definitely going to be uncomfortable. Hot and cold and <laughs> covered with mosquitoes and wondering why the hell you did this. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, a couple decades from now, I'll be like, oh, I'll get there, you know. <laughs> but for now, well, this, is, this is where I need to be. And I think, like, I think that this, you know, you, like we're saying, it's like you've gone through all kinds of experiences of being uncomfortable that teach you what it is that, that you can be uncomfortable. That you can. And, and you realize the things that, how that makes you grow. And then also how you can really appreciate that ice cream cone or that air conditioning. Yeah. And when you do have it, then you appreciate it even more. I remember one of my kids' swim coaches, um, they were doing this three weeks where they swim um, four hours a day, two in the morning and two in the afternoon, and it's get to get ready for the season. And I remember um, there were eight of them, and one of them was my kid, and I took a photo of them after the three weeks after four hours, and they couldn't even hold themselves in the water. They were like leaning their head back on the cement. One of the girls was crying. Um, and I told the coach, I said, Hey, do you see that Grace is crying right now? And she goes, yeah, yeah watch this. And she went over to them and she said 200 more. And I was like, I was, I almost called it. I almost said, that's bullshit. My kid's getting out because he barely could breathe. He barely could do anything. And she turned and looked at me and she goes, this is where they learn. And I was like, <laughs> I like getting emotional thinking about it. Cause I remember being like, Oh, they think they're done. They think they've hit rock bottom, and she's about to show them that they can keep going. And that is a huge lesson yeah. to be 17 years old and have someone that you really respect push you to the point that you're crying while you're swimming or football or whatever the journey is, and you're like, I can do it, even though you want to punch them. Those are the lessons that you learn when you travel. Those are le the lessons you learn when you're... 40 and in business and someone slights you where you lose your business or you have a lawsuit against you or all those things is you you have to learn that progressively and my oh, that's a gift in some my ways. son breaking down last night because his friendships are all about to unravel and he's completely scared I need to help him through that so he realizes he can get through those moments where you hit rock bottom and you can keep going and yeah. I, I thought that was the best thing my kids ever learned. It makes me so emotional because I didn't realize that. I was trying to save my kid. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, go swim 200 more. <laughs> I thought it was such a great lesson to learn. And you you learn that traveling, which is why you and I travel, because we know that world. And, but you can learn it in so many other ways that aren't traveling. And not everybody needs to travel the world to understand that or needs to canoe across the country or be like me and go around the world for a year and a half. But it yeah. might make it easier to see. It might make it clearer, you know, than yeah. daily life or whatever, because you do have a leaky boat or a messed up ankle or whatever the hell happened, or a weird rash. The like epitome of traveling the world is a weird rash. <laughs> <laughs> the unsolvable rash. <laughs> yeah, I I think that I um, I think that there's an element of it's okay to be scared. Yeah. It's okay to be scared. It's okay that that actually is a, a teacher and to do it anyways, even if you are scared. That's yeah. what courage really is. 
Yeah. You know, whether that's swimming that extra 200 meters or, you know, taking that leap of faith out of high school into a new world or community or leaving home for or the first time. Or starting a business or running for city council or getting married or having a child accidentally or just, there's yeah. so many things that you have to learn to get through and letting go of your kids, letting go of your kids and hoping that they don't become depressed and do something dangerous or, you know, all this stuff I can't control. Um, yeah. and you know, I want to control it. It's every part <laughs> of me wants to control that trajectory, but I can't. And so it's, it's yeah. nice to know I'm still learning and I'm learning to let go of them. And my oldest son, who's 21, is, you know, he doesn't answer his texts, the texts I send him as much anymore. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and he's like, we're really close. And I always say, until you have a girlfriend, and then we won't be close anymore. And, you know, that's, it's supposed to happen that way. But yeah, I remember at 31, I had my first kid. We had just gotten back from around the world. We got pregnant with our child around the world. And my husband was a geologist. And we had bought a house. We had just bought our house. And I was convinced we'd have to eat rice and beans forever. Like, because we were, I was like, I don't know how we're going to make that mortgage payment. We had never paid anything that much. But the lenders thought we could afford it, you know? And uh, I remember being like so proud the first week we lived in our house because I made us rice and beans every day. And we had this little baby. And um, I just had no idea. I mean, it's weird to think of how much life I've had since that when I was 31 and I had all of that and I was I loved it I loved my house my neighborhood it was so great to have this baby and the baby really brought me out like you meet all your neighbors when you have kids it's weird because the they come out and they talk to you because you're in the yard with your kids and so you have this like whole life and I just remember being like we're poor but we're really happy and I remember being yeah. really happy right then it was a good time because I had my kids at 30 34 and 37 it was really good. And then I also remember the day that I was at the park on that same street with my three kids and listening to all these moms talk. And I remember my son ran up the slide and went down the ladder. And a mom that was sitting in our group told him, you go up the ladder and down the slide. And I remember that was the moment I said, I'm done. I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom anymore. And I don't want anybody telling my kid he can't go up the slide and down the ladder. I was mad. And uh, about two months later, we bought a a 40-foot school bus, and we moved to Mexico with our kids. Wow. It was really fast. Wow. Yeah, that was the beginning and end of that decade. I was done. I was like, nobody's going to socialize my kids into following the rules. They're going to find, my kids will find their own paths. And if they want to go up that damn slide, they can't. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think that's really powerful because we always have those, like whether it's parental pressure or societal. Society pressure. pressure is huge. Yeah. It's really big, and we shouldn't deny that it is really, really big. And quite frankly, when you're in a small town, yeah, I think the pressure is even more than in a city mm. because you have more eyes on you, and they know your name. And then you own a bar, and they really know your name. You own a historical bar, they really know your name. You're involved in politics. You write books. You're in magazines. They really know your name, and they try to conform you. So, so how do you find that balance? Because in some ways, you you can, you know, living in a small town can be wonderful because of the community sure. and the connection, and, mm-hmm. and you know, living in a beautiful place. Yet, like you're saying, there's also like that pressure to 
you know, be a certain person or be a certain way. Well, I mean, that's the problem with cliques, and a small town is another version of a clique. A yeah. clique and a group of friends. Anybody who has a solid group of friends where everybody's really close to each other in that group versus a bunch of different friends, you then you know that at some point you have to conform to that yeah. group of friends. You become a certain version of yourself. Correct, because you have to, because that's how groups work. So a town, a small town, is no different. There's a clique, and you conform to it, or you, do, or you become an outsider, and you're ostracized. Um, I don't know how you do that. I know I leave a lot, um, yeah. but for me... That's a big I, part of it. Yeah, I leave, and I travel, <laughs> and I take breaks and realize how small the town is, and the world's really big, and this isn't really that important. Then you can come back and appreciate it in yeah. any way. Or I take what I want out of it. You know, I, I get what I want out of it, which is I, I love what it, you know, the certain aspects of it, but I don't love all of it. I don't get super involved in some things. Some people get really involved in it because their personality fits it better than mine. How do I handle it? I have really thick skin. Yeah. I don't super care what people think of me. I know I've done well. Yeah. Being with my husband for as long as I have, seeing how well my kids have done, to me, I'm like, I couldn't have done that bad. <laughs> They're doing good. Yeah. So if I was a horrible person because one guy says that, one guy tells you you can't do something, what do you do? You go paddle the river anyway, and you have to learn. Prove them to, wrong. You prove them wrong, or you have thick skin, but you lick your wounds, and you keep going. It's not the end of the world. And yeah. We don't all have to like each other. There's 7 billion people in the world, you know? Well, I always thought that if everybody likes you, you're probably doing something wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's a well-known <laughs> fact, and I mean, everybody's a sinner and a saint. Everybody. And I own a bar, trust me. I think everybody's trying to do something good. You know what I yeah. mean? We just all have a different idea of what that is. Well, and what, what uh, and just like, so near the end of the show, I, I want to ask people some of the deeper dive questions, and, and one of them is, uh, if you had one year left to live, mm-hmm. what would you, what would you want to do? If say you got a diagnosis and you knew you sure. had one year of, and you just dropped dead at the end of this time next year. I have thought about this because I think it's a really important thing and I've seen some people have their one year left and what they did and um, I don't know because I've seen all the things that I want to see and quite frankly when I travel now I have no expectations and then I'm surprised by whatever I see like going through the Panama Canal and when they opened the last locked door and a group of parrots flew over and there was a bridge after the lock and then the whole crew on the ship says, welcome to the Caribbean. I mean, I couldn't have planned that moment. It was just a moment that happened where I was like, timestamp right there. It's pure magic. You can't plan those. You can go through the Panama Canal and think it's great, but you can't plan the moments that you don't know are going to happen. And so I can't say, well, I really want to see... I don't know, Machu Picchu or Taj Mahal, which I've seen both of them. Um, yeah, but, me too, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they're great, right? Yeah. But the moments you talk about are not when you came around the corner and saw Machu Picchu. The moment you talk about was something else that happens. So yeah. I wouldn't be able to do that in that one year because I can't plan that. Um, I know I would like to meet people and hear about cool things that they've done in their lives, but I already get to do that in the bar all the time. Um, I spend time with my family, but I can't plan when those moments are great because I have three teenagers that sometimes fight. 
And then sometimes we're all laughing and I can't plan those moments. I can bring us all to some great place and have a great week, but it's a whole year. Um, I don't think I would do what I do now, which is like keep, you know, I'm sure I would literally take a year off and be like, I'm gone, folks. Um, I have the most fun with my husband, so I would more than likely want to spend time with him. Uh, the people I've seen that are dying, this sounds so weird, who get a dog, it becomes this really big thing, and I could probably see myself understanding that relationship or whatever. Um, I don't know, maybe meeting other people who are dying. Maybe that would be interesting in some weird way to like really deep dive into that, like, how do you transition into another world? Um, how have people gotten through it? How have they done amazing things? Like, um, you know, we live in a state, Oregon is a state where um, you have the right to die, which is an interesting thing here. So people come to Oregon to go through that process so they can choose when their day is. I know myself, I would love to think I could do that. I would probably want to be in control of it. So I'd probably get deep dive into just literally dying because yeah. I can't plan for one more experience or one more great thing because I can't. They just happen. They're magic. They're absolute magic when they happen. I always say it's kind of like you're meeting the universe halfway. Like yeah. you prepare and you do what you can, but then you kind of just have to take that leap of faith and right. hope the universe is there. Like I, I, when, I, when I messaged you, I, it was like a week out, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just send her a message. And then I couldn't imagine that, you know, I'd be staying in your boathouse and right. talking to you like this. Uh, you know, you can't plan. You just don't know how to plan for these magical moments. You can plan for the trip of a lifetime. Only so much. Only so much. And if you have too much expectation, it doesn't happen, and, and you don't know what you're going to talk about forever. And when I wrote my first book, my editors said you have really great endings endings are hard in short stories or in stories or in books and I said I've been telling these stories for a long time they're not new to me they're just like these peaks these moments magical moments I've seen that I now can write about but um, I think deep diving into dying is probably a, a thing because I am a little obsessed with dying with grace because I don't think I will be I think I'll be kicking and screaming and I always want to think I'll be graceful about it but I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a moaning mess um, because you love love to live yeah and I'm just I'm a dramatic person in general you know <laughs> like I can cry and yell and scream and I don't think anything of it and other people are all like completely affected by me and my reactions and I'm like get over it I was mad for a minute I'm not now and they're all like oh, she was mad at me and I'm like oh god whatever um, yeah. so I can see myself being really dramatic about the whole thing but Death is so interesting, and if you like cultures, and if you've traveled the world, you've seen death. There's no way not to. Um, I think I'd get really into it. I think I'd want to know more, and yeah. I'd want to plan mine, and I'd want it to be a thing. I would probably get really into planning my memorial and the music, and I'd get really into a slideshow going through my own life story. I mean, I'm into my own life resume, so I think that's what I would do. <laughs> I'd be like, no, no, I want this song. You know, I'd plan it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like for me, like I'm literally talking to you an hour and a half out from starting this trip. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be hopefully reaching Florida in seven months. <laughs> and I feel as though what's nice about journeys is that 
because there's like you're doing something unusual there's always like that feeling of like oh I want to stay alive and that creates that immediacy of the moment where you know for me it's like there's things I need to do to be safe and to be successful on this trip that brings me into the moment in such a visceral way that and I think you know traveling adventure can really do that while like learning how to do that um, you know, say when living in one place or, or it's, it's a different experience. It's like being able, it's, a, I think it's almost, uh, it's like a more introspective experience yeah. of being able to say like, um, you can find that, you can find that ability to connect with the moment and connect with people in a really visceral way. Um, by just taking like a more, um, hands-on approach of, of saying like I'm going to uh, like wake up and say you know what today I'm going to walk down this street that I've lived by my entire life but I've never gone down before mm-hmm. and I and I was experiencing that before leaving on this journey because I just you know like when you because you're curious because I'm curious and I think that that curiosity you can experience that whether you're you you're living in one town or you're living traveling the world correct and Curiosity it, takes many forms, not always travel. Yeah, and I think sometimes it takes the travel or it takes some kind of catalyst to recognize that that magic, those magical moments, while you can't plan for them, you can definitely... Um, Push yourself in an environment to experience them. Be more. open to them. And yeah, like, you have to be open to them. Yeah, yeah, you do. And you have to notice them. And I sometimes want... I try very hard to notice the moments, like the transition I'm in right now even though it's really hard to wake up in the middle of the night and your kid is sobbing and you want to save it and you want this time to go by and you want to see him happier, but I'm also like, we have to savor the moments now where I'm watching him grow up in front of my very eyes. You those know? vulnerable moments, yeah. Yeah, but putting yourself in a position to have those magical moments is very true because you could very easily miss them because you get caught up in the monotony. And my 30s were great because I had kids and it was lovely until literally the minute it wasn't because... We didn't do a lot of adventuring in the same way when we got 30s because we had little children and that's a vulnerable time in your life. And so you had that contrast of like being a big adventurer in yeah. your 20s to like living a very like, you know, structured and simple life in, in your 30s for a large part of your yeah. 30s with your kids growing up. And yeah. then your 40s being this completely unique endeavor. World. Yeah. And I remember yeah. that moment when I was in the park and I was completely done with being a stay-at-home mom. The catalyst was that the moms were talking about the same thing for the third week in a row, and I couldn't handle it anymore. I was like, I used to ride around India in a scooter, and I am listening to the third Wednesday talk about a damn recipe. I'm done. I just needed more. I needed more. I needed to challenge myself more, and this wasn't it anymore. And so I put us, our family, into an environment where I could then, my mind could be used more. And that took a big leap of faith, and it took a big jump. But there was no failure in going to Mexico with our family for a few years. There was no failure in it at all. And I'm super glad we did it because it changed our lives and our perception of what society wanted our life to look like, which was my husband is a geologist and me raising the kids. And when we got to Mexico, we realized I was really good at hustling money. I was really good at starting companies and making side money. And that just kind of grew and grew and grew. And that must have been really special realizing that when you come from you know, spending a big chunk of time kind of just living a very simple life yeah. and then being like, whoa, there's this whole other part of me that can flourish and yeah. 
And I just let that freak flag just fly. And my yeah. husband was all for it because he always wanted to spend more time with the kids. And suddenly I needed him to spend all the time with the kids because I had to research all these ways I was going to do these businesses. And thank goodness it worked. I don't think he would have held it against me if it didn't. But, you know, he trusted me and I trusted him when I was pregnant. I remember having, I remember very clearly being pregnant and how scared it made me to realize that I wasn't going to be able to run away. I had to, I couldn't physically run away. I was now dependent on him for money and for safety in a weird way because you become so vulnerable when you're pregnant. I never felt that before. So it was a weird, it was really great. It was the greatest thing we ever did was to completely change our lives. And I wish it for everybody. Yeah, and I, I reinvention. Live, I live in a town where people don't do much. And I want to sometimes look at them and be like, go somewhere else. You need to just go somewhere else. Reinvention. Yeah. And, and what you, t- you mentioned your husband a few times and about how you still see him as like your best friend. Yeah. And what is it that has, what do you think are some of the keys to having like a really successful well, relationship re- and marriage? I remember before we got, we got married, we got, we met when we were 22 and 24 and we were both traveling. When we met, we were living in Volkswagen vans um, here on the coast of Oregon, working jobs, and we met, and then at the end of the summer, we both went back to college, and we didn't see each other for three years, but we would write letters to each other, um, and then we went traveling quite a bit together, and we, we definitely are puzzle pieces. We fit. Our, our superpowers aren't the same, but they work really well together, um, But I do remember very clearly before we got married realizing that we both had very similar childhoods. And even though I was a product of divorce, we were both in scouts. We both lived in neighborhoods with kids. We both had moms that signed us up for class. Like we really kind of lived a very similar life and we liked it. Neither one of us thought our childhoods were horrible. I had an alcoholic abusive father who my mom divorced. He, his parents are still married and they're lovely. But the things we did that formed our personalities wasn't this one person or this one thing. It was, we wanted to grow our kids up in a neighborhood where they knew people. We wanted that. And it's so simple, but we didn't come from dramatically different backgrounds. And I think that actually helped a lot. So... The things we've, and we're both very curious, and we're both scientific, and that helped too because it was like we spoke the same language. I sometimes wonder if I would have had a really different education, and I didn't have the same curiosity, if that wouldn't have worked. We're curious about different things, and I've had to work at it sometimes. Like, he's really into mountain biking, and I don't mountain bike, but I read his mountain biking magazines because I, then we have You want to have that, then you can talk about it. We chat about it, and he does the same kind of, those little things and so when they when they talk about working at it it's the it's the really small things it's just listening you know or next month is 30 years since we met and we're going to british columbia to go mountain biking because when he goes mountain biking i go hiking and we chat and it's fun and it's not all for him it's for both of us but it's fun and i don't know he's really easy to hang out with i'm like let's go to india let's you know go to panama in seven days and He's totally down with that. Or let's buy a 100-year-old bar and we have no idea what the hell we're doing. Yeah. And like you have that partner in crime, so to speak, that's just yeah. with you 
for whatever whatever it is you'd want to do or he just always, he decides to do you he can always find a way. says you're never boring and he I think yeah. is he's very steady and I call my cheese sandwich guy and the joke is he could eat a cheese sandwich every day for the rest of his life and he'd be okay with it and he would never complain <laughs> um, he's very steady and he is 100% my anchor because I'm like woohoo let's do this let's try that so for, so for him it's like you bring that out of him where he's like yep. that's why he's like oh he man. gets to go to Panama like, because I met a couple in the backyard yeah that's why he went to Panama is because I found the person they invited us and I organized the trip I get to go to Panama because I met this person in the bar and my husband's like let's go because he could be like oh I'm not going and then I have to do everything on my own so we both get something out of that but I don't think any, I, there's not a lot of men that could handle me being like, let's try this now. Let's do this weird and just thing. Be, and just be steady and, and yeah. happy. Yeah, he's process. very content. Yeah. He's very content on a regular basis. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's powerful that you guys have been able to, because it, it, clearly I can see how having a strong relationship like that opens up doors because it, it just like increases your your power to it really does do so much if i you have someone on the same page with you like 100 percent. it is such a weird concept when i talk to people who their partners won't do xyz and i'm always like what that's weird steve and i will do xyz with each other we go on different vacations too like yeah i went to england for a month by myself no kids no husband um, he goes on mountain biking trips alone, and then we go on trips together because we're. And you have new things to share with each other. That's you when you get older. That's kind of important. Yeah. Or I think you could morph into the same human if you're not careful. Because <laughs> we also work together. Yeah. So, so you get. And we have no other co- co-workers in our businesses, so it's just him and I, and literally we could, we eat all our meals together, and we could become the same human if we're not careful. That's interesting. I know because yeah. we kind of look alike too, so that's another like. <laughs> Well, um, and so what would you, to shift kind of to, to ending gear here, what is, it, what is it that you think are you know, the three or four most important things for someone that's trying to realize their dream or even discover uh, what it is that they're passionate about and, and, they're, and they want to make a change? Tolerance and acceptance of other people is I think how you get where you need to get because you have Mm -hmm. to tolerate and accept other people to be good in business because you got to blaze on through and you got to ignore them and you got to trust your judgment the most that's why the Elon Musks of the world are so interesting to me because they're just like I hear you don't care I'm going anyway and so putting yourself Mm -hmm. in any position where you have to learn tolerance and acceptance of other people is how you can become a community member. It's how you can build your business. It's how you can figure out humans. My youngest son wants to go into marketing. And I said, I could see that because you're really into psychology. And mm. they're related. And so putting yourself in any environment where you have to question what you believe in and see other people and what they believe in and, and hear them and understand that, I think, is the greatest gift I would, get, I would try to give to people. And so that equates to traveling quite often. Um, so if you have a goal you want to achieve or, or something along the line, you need to look at everybody around you to achieve that. You have to understand why this person's doing that and why this guy tells you not to go on the Columbia River. And if you understand that background, it'll help you get through it better and achieve those 
goals by communicating and networking and figuring out those keys to success. So I always want to know my players and I want to know their backgrounds and I want my children to learn that from other people so that you can learn to tolerate and you can learn who to listen to. And you yeah. can let them guide you or you can absolutely ignore them. But you got to know the person. And every person has a backstory. Every single person has a history. To follow your dreams or to complete a massive goal, you have to understand how people work and you have to learn to be tolerant of it. But then you also have to believe in yourself. But if you've yeah. spent enough time listening to other people's stories, you start to realize that you've gained confidence from all that. And then you have to just trust your own idea. And you just have to learn to fail. Well, you, you talked about the fuel that you, you gain from people doubting the naysayers. you. Or saying that you can't do something. Yeah. And how powerful that can be. Depends on the person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the person for sure. But um, I don't, you know, everybody thinks they're rebellious because they get a tattoo. And I'm always like, no. True rebellion is when you shoot yourself in the foot because you think you know more. You know, like, you'll hurt yourself just to get blazed through, which isn't the smartest move in the world. But, um, you know, we're all rebellious in our own way, for sure. I question everybody and everything because I'm curious, and I also like to play devil's advocate, for sure. Um, but that push, yeah, I, I in particular have to have a push back. I need that to, to blaze on through. I don't need to be around, surrounded by yes people. I don't yeah. need that, but other people do. And for some people, I am their yes person. Yeah. I, I am that because that's my position. In some ways, it's almost good to have both. It's good to have, it's good to have the people that will always have your back and yeah. believe in you and have the people that say, oh, you can't do it. What are you doing? And those can create like different types of fuel. Well, yeah. I, I always realize when I'm going through an emotion and I want to reach out to a certain person, the person I'm trying to reach out is for a reason. Like it's interesting while somebody, I'll be like, I'll call my mom this time, or I'll call my friend this time, or I'll call a business associate. It's because I'm looking for the right feeling, and they're going to provide it, you know? Um, but I, I really think the more you can learn about people and learn their stories and realize everybody has one, yeah. the, I think you can gain more confidence working with people. And you can't, you can't be a community member without understanding how people work and and you can't achieve your goals without people. Quite frankly, that's another thing is yeah. your whole canoe trip, people will help you along the way. And you know that. You already know that. I'm at the other end where I get to help people now because they did for me. And I remember those moments where perfect strangers who's a, a countess in an Irish castle pulls over to pick us up on the side of the road because we're hitchhiking in the rain and then takes us to her house to dry off and feed us hot cocoa. That's amazing. I don't forget that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So if well, I can, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget being this able room. to stay <laughs> in this boathouse and prepare for my journey. Yeah. This is absolutely... I could not have asked for a better place You're going to wish stay. you had that bed soon. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> when I'm sleeping in the swamp later tonight. I know. Actually, <laughs> I think camping in the south is hard. When, that, when you get into that humidity and the bugs, that's kind of hard. Yeah. That can be that. Those were some. I remember camping down there and being like, "Oh God!" And then everybody else at the campground had an RV with an air conditioner, and I was like, "Maybe we're the dumbest people here." The humidity <laughs> and the mosquitoes. Yeah. I can I can look forward to at least not having too many mosquitoes for for a while. For a little while. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you came down because I met you four years ago when you were on your bike trip. Yeah. And uh, 
and that you're starting in Astoria again because so many people here start their bicycle trips across country. Astoria is one of the big meccas for bike trips. So you're the first canoe person I've met. I don't know how common it is to go cross country, but... Well, there's a, there's a couple, and uh, I'm fortunately in touch with them, and their, their advice is invaluable to me. Of course. And this town has been special for me because I, I started my first ever bike trip exactly 20 years ago, almost to the day, in Astoria, and I biked from Astoria... Oregon, ten years Portland, ago. Maine. Sorry, ten, ten years, years ago. ago. I'm yeah. not that old yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. ten years ago, and that and that this is week, right? This week. This yeah. week. Yeah. Maybe I think it was either today or tomorrow, and I have a photo of like being down on the docks with the seals and and uh, and then yeah, coming back through here again from biking from uh, Anuvik down right. to down here to San Francisco and. And getting to meet you then, like, this town is, yeah, there's something, there's something special about the energy of this place. When did you go down, you went down the Missouri or the Mississippi? I went down the Mississippi. You went down the so Mississippi. So I'll be paddling the Missouri this time around. I would like to paddle down the Mississippi. I would really like to do that. I would like to slowly go down and look at things from the water's view. I think it'd be amazing. I, I worked a lot around there for the U.S. Forest Service, um, but I being on the river, is it's a completely different perspective, and I can understand why people want to do it, because I'm a big canoe already, and I, I really love that you're doing this trip and that you're starting in my bar, in my Airbnb room, Yeah. Um, that is named the Marina Room, and you sleep in a boat. That's perfect. I know, it's perfect. I feel perfect. so in tune with... The journey. I know. It's a good start. Across the street from the river, and then we're gonna we're gonna take that thing down there and go put you in the water now. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's special. And the Mississippi is uh, what I what I'm excited about about the Mississippi is I'll be paddling the second half again, eight years later. Oh, that's so weird. And so it'll be interesting seeing it. You know, I did it. I paddled it when I was 23, uh-huh. and then I'll be uh, entering the Mississippi in St. Louis and paddling the second half again and. And it's, uh, yeah, it's like almost like I'm, all these different journeys are intersecting and c- coming together. And it's it, that's special to me. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And then you'll see the manatees when you're done. Yeah, thank you for telling me about those. <laughs> well, they're only there in the winter and they're so weird. And you got to see them if you're going to be all the way in Florida. And they you'll be on rivers where there'll be manatees. So you're saying the the manatees they um, come out at night in the winter time. No, they're Florida. out all the time. No. They're out all the time. Yeah, okay. yeah, but they come to Florida to feed in the warm springs. There's warm springs in Florida in the swamps, and um, and so you and the water's crystal clear, and so you can canoe and kayak on those springs, and they're underwater, and they come up to breathe, and they're right there, and you're like watching them, and then they'll swim around you, and in some of the creeks you can actually swim with them, but. They're only there in December and January, and they're so weird. You just got to go do it because they're endangered and super weird. Wow. It's a good ending to your journey is to go swim with the manatees. That's, uh, it's, every trip I've done, I've always known that it's about the journey and not the destination. But it's still very nice to have that, those Mm -hmm. destination, those elements of the destination that you're really looking forward to. Right. Because I feel like it's the culmination of everything that you go through and experience that when you are, you know, swimming with the manatees or when I, when I biked across the U.S. when I was 21, you know, busking um, and I got to Portland, Maine, I like, you know, stripped down to my underwear and I'm swimming in the water and it's like, 
yeah, it was magical. Yeah. You know, it really was. Yeah. I had a burrito supreme once after uh, 10 days in the mountains in Peru. That might have been the best burrito supreme of my life. I still talk about it to this day. All I had to do with making it across that journey. And the whole thing, whole time we were walking in the mountains, I was just thinking about food the whole time. And that was the end to our journey. And I wrote about that story. And the story is called Burrito Supreme. <laughs> That's amazing. And I thought about food the whole <laughs> trip. It was such a dumb thing to think about, but it changes your world, man. Food becomes such a big thing when you don't have any food. Oh, I'll be feeling that. <laughs> you will, I know, for sure. I used to know yeah. a guy down the river um, near Portland. Uh, he used to canoe to work every day. He works at Home Depot, which is right off the, it's right on the water, right by the airport. Yeah. And he lived across the way and he would canoe to and from work every day. I always think about that because I always want to go buy that Home Depot in my canoe one day. Wow. You'll go buy it. Well, Diana, I just want to thank you so much for yeah. talking with me. And I, uh, I just think you're, uh, you're an incredible person. You've thank you. had so many mm. unique life experiences yeah. that yeah. I couldn't have asked for a better first guest for my show. Yeah. Well, it's all downhill from here, so. Yeah. Well, Don't you wish it was? Because you're going to be battling upriver for how long? <laughs> Weeks? Yeah. Get, get the hard part out of the way. Yeah. And then, Hopefully it's just I have. a slide home after that, no problem. Yeah, you know what's interesting when I uh, when I biked down the coast right after I met you, everybody kept telling me like, oh, once you get to California, it's all downhill from there. And uh, I gotta say, when I got to San Francisco, uh, it was it was not very downhill. Oh, uh-uh. <laughs> well, going over Big Sur, that's like really big right there, but it's all downhill from there. Interesting. Yeah. But the redwoods sure are nice. <clears throat> They're really nice to bike through. Beautiful. Yeah, they're really, I think they're special when I meet people in other countries and they talk about coming to the United States. I always say New York City, Grand Canyon, and the Redwoods. Camping under the Redwoods, it's like you realize, you know, because we, we can kind of make, we human beings, we get pretty dramatic, which is great to some degree because it makes life interesting. But when you're hugging like a 2,000 year old tree, you realize you're That's like... That's 22 feet wide. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I came from dust and I'll be going back to dust in this I feel very small. Yeah. The Redwoods are great for Peace. feeling really small. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing when you get to be in those environments like Wonder Lake in Alaska or um, standing... I mean, still to this day, whenever I'm at the Grand Canyon, it's still so jaw-dropping. It's crazy. And mm. you do... I. It's great to feel tiny. You know what I mean? We watch yeah. people try to control nature around here, and it's absolutely hilarious. I told you about the cormorant war out here where they moved the cormorants off an island, and they went to the bridge, and now they're causing millions of dollars, so the engineers are now trying to move them off the bridge. And I was like, or you could just leave the cormorants alone. <laughs> you could quit trying to control nature. What's powerful, nature is, is a powerful force, and there is a lot of joy that comes from recognizing that it is something that has persisted long before we got here and long after we'll be here. And, yeah. You know, every time we try to mess with it, it usually just laughs at us. And you're going to do nothing for the next six months but live right in there, in that moment. It's going to affect you from the color of the water under you to the sky above you to weather and sun and all that. That's all you're going to do. Yeah. Well, I love I love that becoming really in tune with that. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. I'm excited for that, and I'm excited to talk to interesting people yeah. like you. Yeah. So it's uh, this is it all starts here. It does. Day one. <laughs> all right. Well, might be time to get this boat in the water. Yep. I think it's time. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for asking.
Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Journey to the Heart podcast. For regular updates about my canoe journey across America, my music and other creative projects, be sure to check out my Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube pages at Torlokes and Tornlokes. Don't forget the silent H. You can also follow my journey and join my mailing list at www.tornlokes.com.